I, I appreciate Jim taking the time to share about Fanny Crosby. And I, I don't know if he, if he was fully aware of, of the area that we're going this morning. As we look at Luke chapter 1, this is the last set in what I'm calling Christmas Continued. Um, I, I mentioned before that, you know, Christmas, it, it's too short. And we want, to, we want to take a little bit more time and look at some of these characters and some of these people that are, are doing different things during the story of Christmas. Uh, normally, we read through the story and then we just keep moving on. And I wanted to just slow down for a little bit, take a, a couple extra weeks and, and examine some of them. And so we've looked at Zechariah. We've looked at Joseph. We're going to look at Mary this week. And just get an idea of a few things about what's going on in their lives. Um, <clears throat> next week, we are going to start in on the book of 1 Timothy. So I would encourage you, go ahead and read through 1 Timothy at some point this week. Six chapters, it's not terribly long, but there is so much in there. And, and to be honest, I'm a little bit nervous about some of it, because some things in there are really challenging. They're tough. There are some theologies that are going to be hard. They're going to be hard to preach. They might be hard to listen to. And definitely hard to accept that this is what God says, and therefore I'm going to do it. That's okay. Challenges are, they're fine. Uh, I'm, I'm excited about First Timothy. I hope you are as well. And I would encourage you, read through it, um, and get an idea of what's going on. But for this week, we're going to be looking at Mary. How many of you have questions? You, you ever ask a question? Okay. Yeah, you, you have asked one at some point. <clears throat> I'm going to guess that most of you have probably done like I've done. You've been driving along, you come up to an intersection with a, a light, and it immediately, like right before, I don't know if anybody else does this, but as I'm coming up, I'm counting down. I'm like, if, if it stays green this long, I'm going through. And, and we do have a police officer in here. I don't run them when they're red, but if they're kind of orangish, and my, my count, anyway, orangish, I am the colorblind one, but yes, I know that it's, it's red and then yellow, and what red and yellow make. So if it's orangish, then, you know, anyway. And, and you, you're coming up and you're, oh, why do I always get the red lights? Anybody ask a question like that? Just why, why, or, huh? You just flip the, the others on and keep, yeah. Well, we don't have that switch in most of ours. <clears throat> or maybe, maybe, have you ever noticed that sometimes uh, when somebody yawns, it makes everybody else start yawning? You ever see that? You ever ask why? Why, why does that happen? See, I, I, love, I love why questions. Uh, most of you who are parents pr who have small children, you, I, I see you're shaking your head at me. <laughs> like, you, you get tired of the why. Why? 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 You, you ever experience that one? I, exactly. I, I actually enjoy those. I enjoy... Now, I will admit I get tired of them at times as well, but... I think that they're cool because somebody is trying to figure out and learn and, and understand and grow. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with asking some of those why questions. Why, how, how is this going to work? Why, why does this happen? 
And, you know, sometimes we even have those on more serious things than why does everybody yawn when one person yawns. More like, why did so-and-so get cancer? Why did this little child die? Why did... And, and we get into some of those big, major questions of why. And that's why I, I asked that we had that last song, because if you get nothing else from this morning's message, I want you to take away one thing, is that we don't have to know all of the whys when we have confidence in the one who is in charge. I know whom I've believed, and I know that he is able no matter what it is, no matter what's going on, no matter all of these things, we, we come up with all kinds of questions. No matter what, I know who he is. I know that I can trust him. And it'll be okay. And as we look at this, at, at this story of Mary in Luke chapter 1, we find that that is her attitude. And there's tons of whys. There's tons of questions. And as I was studying and going through it, I found even more questions and Maybe we'll see a few of the answers, but the key takeaway that I want you guys to have is that Mary obeyed God, whether she knew all the answers or not, whether she had it all figured out, whether, whether God ever answered those questions or not, she was faithful and obeyed when God directed her to do something. <clears throat> so let's pray, and then we're going to take a look at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 56. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this time that we can gather together. Lord, thank you for the joy that we can have. Lord, thank you that you sent your Son to live among us, to die on the cross, that we might be saved. Father, as we look at this example of Mary, I pray that you would help us to, to recognize that there are times we don't have the answers. We don't know why. And yet we can trust you and follow you and obey you, knowing that your ways are perfect and that you will accomplish great things. Guide us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a, there's a famous song, and uh, if you picked up one of the supplementals uh, on the back... I list out a bunch of the questions that are asked of Mary. And it's, it's Mary, did you know that this was going to happen, that that was going to happen? That, you know. and, and I've heard some people kind of pick on that song because it's like, well, read the Bible and it gives the answer. Yes, this is true. We can, we can look back. Hindsight is twenty twenty. they say. We can look back and see what Mary knew and how it all played out and stuff like that. But, but put yourself in that situation for a moment. We all know the story of Mary. I'm not going to read through all of it. We've read through the Christmas story already during this series. I'm not going to read through all of it. But we know that she was a young lady, a young woman, who had some excitement going on that put her into a difficult situation. In Luke chapter 1, starting off in verse 26, it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, you'll notice it, it refers to her as a virgin. It's very precise in that and very intentional in that. This is a, a pure young lady who has 
is getting ready to get married but has not done married people things. Okay? She, it, it, it's being very specific about that. Because we need to recognize that Mary is a good lady. She's obedient to the law. She's doing the right thing. And all of a sudden, it says in the sixth month, well, if you recall, uh, Elizabeth is six months pregnant at this point. We looked at the, the story of Zechariah, and this is kind of right in the middle of what we looked at last week. And so Elizabeth has been pregnant for six months, and then this happens. And we, we have a young lady by the name of Mary. She's getting ready to get married. Life is going well. Things are good for her. And all of a sudden, an angel shows up, the angel Gabriel. Now, we know we've, we've seen a little bit about Gabriel. Um, he is the angel that stands in the presence of God. He's an angel that God has sent to deliver a few messages, and that's about all that we know about him. And that's okay. Now, I'll admit, one of my questions is, well, what else is there about Gabriel? Why don't we know more about him? How about this? What about God doesn't tell us? God doesn't answer that question. He gives us as much as we need to know about Gabriel, and that's it. But Gabriel arrives on the scene and talks to Mary, and it says, coming in, verse 28, coming in, he said to her, hail favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, when I read that, I'm like, what is going on? What, what kind of a greeting is that? Well, if you read the next verse, Mary was the same way. Now, now pause and think about that for a moment. All of a sudden, this random individual that you've never met before walks in the door and says, Hail, the Lord is with you, the master, the one in charge. Well, I don't know about you, but personally, I'd look around and be like, Okay, so are you the master? Are you in charge? What, what's he talking about? I mean, just, just pause for a moment. Picture this. You're, you're going about your daily life. Young lady, probably has a lot of housekeeping, housework, whatever going on. Nobody else is around. And it says, it says here that, that coming in, and the idea is just like walked in the door. Well, first of all, why are you walking in my house? I, you didn't knock. I don't, know who, I don't know you. Why are you here? Came in and said to her, Hail, favored one. This is an unusual kind of a greeting. Have you ever been gre- greeted that way? Okay, I haven't. I don't, I, it seems odd and unusual. And, and as a result, verse 29, she was greatly troubled at this statement. Like, what? What are you talking about? What's going on? The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. First thing that we notice about this is that Mary is someone special. Not because of anything that she had done, not because of her position or her station or anything like that, but because God showed favor on her. That in and of itself gave reason for this greeting because God, the master, the God of the universe, had viewed her as someone significant. Amazing thing. God does that for you too, for you and for me, for each of us. Well, this angel shows up, gives her a greeting, and then something not quite so exciting. I mean, you know, random person greeting you, that's, that's fine. But the angel says to her, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall name him Jesus. 
He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. Now, there's, there's all kinds of great stuff in that. Really cool stuff about who Jesus is, Old Testament prophecy. I'm going to bypass it for right now. I would encourage you, go back and take a look at that. Examine how what the angel says lines up with the Old Testament. But I want to I keep going and look at Mary's response. And she asks the question, how can this be since I'm a virgin? That's a reasonable question. She knows about the birds and bees, right? She understands physically how this is supposed to work. But we already looked at, and here she affirms, she's not done married people things. So how's that going to happen? How does that work? What's going on? It's a reasonable question, and it, it seems logical to ask. Now, if you were here last week, you remember that Zechariah asked a question of the same angel, right? You remember that? What was his question? How do I know that this is going to happen? And, and it's interesting to me when, when looking at these. See, this is, this is one of those times when I noticed that, and I'm like, hang on. Zechariah asked a question, Mary asked a question, but the response from the angel is completely different. Why is that? You'll, you'll recall back in Zechariah, he's like, um, how, how do I know that this is going to happen? And the angel says, you're going to not speak for the next nine months because you didn't trust God. And here, Mary asks, how's this going to happen? And she gets an explanation. We'll look at that in a minute. And I, I'm like, you know, what's going on? Why is this so different? What's the reason? Well, it's all in the way that it's asked. If you, if you read through and you look at it, when Zechariah asked the question, he's, in essence, he's saying, prove it to me. How do I know? Show me some proof that this is going to take place. Mary asks, it, it sounds similar, but it's actually a very different question. She asks, in essence, okay, um, Things don't work that way. So how is this going to work? Because I've not done what's necessary for that to occur. And the angel responds and answers with an explanation. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. For that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. All right, so she gets an answer to the question. Nice and simple, God's going to make it happen. Okay. Wonderful. Now, all of this lays the base work, but this is where I think all of the real questions start coming up. See, we have this young lady, nice young lady, well-behaved, does right things, does good things, has plans. She's getting ready to get married. Her, her husband-to-be is probably off getting the house ready so that they'll be able to, to live together once the ceremony has occurred. You'll recall we talked about when looking at Joseph how that in their society there was a contract formed and then the husband would go get the house ready and the wife kind of waited. And there, there was a bit of a process and sometimes that would take up to a year. Legally, they were married, but they hadn't consummated the marriage yet. They didn't live together. They didn't do married people things together yet, but they were legally bound by marriage. And so Mary is now told that she's going to have a baby. 
We looked at Joseph's side of this story and how that Joseph, he had to deal with some things. And he wanted to do the right thing. He wanted to be a good, righteous individual. He was trying to. And so he's like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to put her to shame. I'm not going to make a huge deal out of this. I'm just going to you know, quietly walk away and it won't be a big deal. And the angel comes to him and is like, no, you're going to marry her. You are going to marry Mary and you're going to uh, raise this child. And you remember Joseph, he said, okay, I'll do that. He, he was obedient. But for Mary, this is a little bit different. In that society, if someone was pregnant without being married, or if they were pregnant and they were engaged, but they hadn't actually officially been married, that's not good. Something bad's going on. Something. So there's a lot of societal pressures going on that, that Mary is going to have to endure as a result of this. I'm, I, I don't know how fast her mind ran through all of these things, but she also has to deal with, okay, well, what's Joseph going to do? What's society going to do? How am I going to raise this baby? What, why is there this random individual walking in my door and just telling me these things? How does all of it? I don't know exactly what her thought process was through all of this. But the angel, back in verse 35, the angel answered and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. The, the child will be called the offspring of God, the Son of God. Behold, he, he continues, Behold, even your relative Elizabeth also has conceived a son in her old age. And she who is called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And what is Mary's response? Through all of this, through all of the, the potentials, the could-bes, it says, Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, be it done with me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I've asked a bunch of questions just kind of starting off, and I, I don't know all of what went through Mary's head in that moment. It, it, was, it was rapid fire. It was fast-acting stuff. Things were going on. I mean, nobody has a baby without some way for that to occur. And she's like, this doesn't make sense. The, uh, how? But her answer, her immediate response, behold, the handmaid of God. She says, I, I, don't, I don't understand it. I don't have to understand it. Whatever God says, I'm good with that. I'll go with that. And so she immediately accepts that God has a plan. And she says, hey, God's in control. God's in charge. Let's go with it. The story doesn't end there, obviously. It goes on that Mary, so, so the, the angel departs and goes away. <clears throat> and just to prove that God was capable of doing this, the angel had pointed out that Elizabeth, who was in her old age, who we looked at last week, shouldn't normally have been able to have a baby. Elizabeth is also pregnant. And so Elizabeth's going to have a baby. So like God has this under control. He's in charge. He can make it happen. And, and Mary accepts that and goes with it. But her response then is to go to see Elizabeth. And I've kind of wondered, okay, why, why would Mary travel to see Elizabeth. 
Now, if you, if you recall the geography of the area, it, Mary was living up in Nazareth, which is kind of in the northern part of the, the country. Elizabeth was living down near Jerusalem, which is kind of in the southern part of the country. And it's about a hundred mile distance for that. And Mary, it says that she quickly arose or she made haste to go to the hill country to a city of Judah. So she very immediately and very quickly made a trip down to go see Elizabeth. I've been trying to figure out why. What, what is she thinking? Why would she make that trip? <clears throat> we, we really don't know. It doesn't say. Um, <clears throat> if you Google the question, which I, that's my response, I'll admit, I, I Google things and try and figure it out. You Google that question, why did Mary go to see Elizabeth? You're going to come up with all kinds of different ideas, all kinds of different answers. You're going to hear things that are plausible, and you're also going to get things that are just completely way out there and, and random and make absolutely no sense. You're going to get some things that are very theologically driven. Um, certain groups think that it has to be for, for certain reasons, and they use their their preconceived theology and try and insert it into this passage and say, oh, well, it has to be this or it has to be that so that their theology can be proven. Unfortunately, we don't know. It doesn't tell us. And so this is one of my questions. When I, when I come to this text, I'm, I'm reading through, I'm like, um, why? Why would she make a hundred mile trip? And, and I gave this and, and a bunch of other questions to the ladies for the ladies Bible study. Um, which was kind of fun because I, I heard back that uh, they thought I asked way too many questions. There's no way that I could get through all of this in one sermon. You're right, ladies. There's no way. There's no way. But I, I wanted to encourage you, think through. When you, when you interact with Scripture, when you start reading, ask these questions. Ask all kinds of questions. Because sometimes we can figure out ideas. With this one, um, I found that a lot of a lot of sites will say that it was for Mary to do some kind of grace, to, to pour out. And, and a lot of those were, like I said, theologically driven, like, okay, Mary is somebody who has the ability from God to, to dispense grace on people. It's like, that's not what it says. That, that's not what the Bible says. Um, Christianity.com gives eight different reasons, and there, there's a bunch. Um, some of them, like I said, are possibly reasonable. Others, one of them is like to show Elizabeth's faith. I'm like, that, but Mary's the one who made the trip, so how does that? So it, it's a head-scratcher for me. But this is one of those places where I wish that the Bible gave us a little bit more information, but it doesn't. We don't know why Mary went. Now, I started thinking about it. I'm like, well, maybe, maybe Mary got ran out of town. People found out that she was pregnant, and they're like, nope, you got to go. Except that doesn't fit with what the Bible says. So the Bible says that she made haste as soon as the angel told her, and she left. So I don't know, I don't know about you guys, but personally, I'll come up with all kinds of ideas. And when I slow down and compare with what the Bible actually says, I might have gotten ahead of myself on that one. Because that's not what it says. It doesn't tell us. But we know that Mary makes the trip. And she gets down there, 
And yeah, the, here's, here's the takeaway from all of that. There are times, many times, when we wish that there was more information about something in Scripture. It's interesting to us, and we, we study it, we think about it, we try and figure it out. But for some reason, God doesn't view it as important enough to record all of the answers. We don't know if Mary got ran off. We don't know if her parents wanted to kick her out. We don't know if she even had parents that were still alive at this point. We don't know so many things about Mary. What do we know about her? That as soon as God said, I want you to do this, she obeyed. She said, hey, I'm, I'm the bondservant. I'm the slave of God. Whatever it is, I'll do it. I don't have the answers. I don't understand it. I don't need to because I'm going to do what God has told me to do. For some reason, Mary, in her first trimester, made haste to visit Elizabeth, who was in her sixth month of pregnancy. According to verse 56, she stayed for about three months, and then she went back to her own home. Like I said, was she run out of town? Was she run out from uh, Elizabeth's house? What, why all of this travel? I mean, that's 200 miles of, of basically walking while she's pregnant in her first trimester, which, as I recall, is not one of the most fun times of a pregnancy, and yet that's what she did. She visited Elizabeth, and we find in verse 40, it says that she entered into the house of Zacharias, and she greeted Elizabeth. And it came about, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you, among women are you, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. How has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth asks a question as well. Like why, why is it that the, the mother of my Lord... Elizabeth recognized already that the baby that Mary was going to have was the Savior, was the Messiah, was the promised one. Now, I suspect that Elizabeth was already told that um, in connection with her own baby, but her immediate response is to praise God because Mary has arrived and, and she's excited, she's happy about this. It says, For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Now, whatever the reason that Mary visited, there was no question in Elizabeth's mind that this is a good thing, that this is a positive thing. There wasn't an accusation about who she was or, or why would a, a unmarried woman be visiting her house? Why would she be pregnant at this time? None of that. Because Elizabeth also had that same attitude and that same mindset that Mary had had. That whatever it is that God's doing, I don't have to have all the answers. I don't need to know all the details. I know that it is good. I know that God has a plan. And as a result, she blesses Mary. Now, on that, on that sheet, I encourage you to kind of dig into that idea of blessing. We see blessings come up over and over and over again in the New Testament. And a lot of them, they, they come from different reasons and different ideas. But what's happening here is that Mary, or sorry, Elizabeth is recognizing that, that God has poured out good things on Mary. That as Mary is probably going to be dealing with some challenges societally, and, and just having a baby is, is difficult, 
But all of that, Elizabeth recognizes as a positive thing, as a good thing. And ultimately, the biggest blessing that she gives is right there at the end. Blessed is the one who believes in the fulfillment of the promise of God. See, God had told Mary that something was going to happen. And we already saw that Mary immediately believed God. She trusted. She didn't have to have all the details. She didn't have to have all the answers. She didn't need to know how it was all going to work beyond just that one question that she asked of like, physically, this isn't a normal thing, so I don't, I don't get it. But her answer was to believe God, to trust him, and to accept it. As soon as Elizabeth gets done, Mary has what is commonly referred to as the, the magnificent, or she, she says, God is magnificent, is, is what that word means. My soul exalts the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And she, she goes through this praise of God. And like I said, the, the key takeaway, the key thing that I want you to understand from this whole story there's all kinds of questions that come up. I have, I've, I've only barely touched on a couple of the questions that I have about this. But the whole way through, no matter what's happening, no matter what the, the challenges that she does or might or will face, her answer, her response is that her soul wants to exalt the Lord. She rejoices in God her Savior. For he has great regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke to our fathers, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. Mary praised God. No matter what the circumstance, no matter what the details, no matter she had just done this hundred mile trek to get down there for a reason that we, we don't know. It's not fully recorded for us. But she went to see Elizabeth and she gets there and the first thing out of Elizabeth's mouth and the first thing out of her mouth is to praise God. Through all the difficulties, through all the challenges, I mean, a, a hundred mile trek is not easy even today let alone in their time, the dangers that she faced, the challenges. And again, she's in her first trimester, probably not the best time for traveling. And yet, as soon as they arrive, these two ladies, one who's old and about to have a baby that doesn't really make sense because when you get past certain age, that just doesn't happen. And one who's young, who is about to have a baby, and that doesn't make sense because she's not married and she says, I've not been with a man. I, I haven't known a man. So how does that work? They're both dealing with all kinds of craziness. And I try and put myself in, in their shoes. I try and understand the way that they might have been dealing with this. And their response, their answer is not to question, not to ask, not to worry about it. 
as soon as they get together, Elizabeth praises God for who he is and what he's done. Mary praises God for who he is and what he's done. And their entire focus is glorifying God because they know that they can trust him. They can rely on him. Now, a couple of other items, a couple of other takeaways that I noticed throughout this. I mentioned that that Elizabeth really shouldn't be having a baby at this point. Mary really shouldn't be having a baby at this point. And yet, they both recognized that babies come from God, right? I, I think that this is, like I said, it's, it's a side note, but I think this is one of the re- many reasons that abortion is such a big deal. Each of these babies is special in God's eyes. Each of them was given by God. Whether, whether they should have been able to or not, God was the one who made this happen. And rather than, because, I mean, think about it, a, an old lady who shouldn't be having a baby, it's probably going to have some health issues. I, I think nowadays it's, was it 35 after that? It's kind of considered dangerous, right? And you, you shouldn't. Or Mary, who is, I mean, culturally, this is going to be a big deal. Nobody knows who the father is. Nobody knows the situation. She's a poor young lady. Th- things are not great. These are the best examples that you could probably come up with of, of someone who shouldn't have a baby. And yet they both recognize these babies are from God. And ultimately, I think that the, the, the big reason that it's such a big deal is that when, when we say that a baby doesn't deserve to live, we are putting ourselves in God's position. And I, I don't want to get all political and, and go off on too long of a tangent, but I think one of the things that we can learn from this and take away from this is that babies are special to God. And that if we try and be God ourselves, then we are rejecting him. We're putting ourselves in his place. And that's what a lot of the doctors try and do. Now, I understand that a lot of the ladies, they don't understand, they don't know what's going on and all of that. But the doctors are like, no, I know better than God does. So I'm going to make a decision and deal with all of this. And that's, that's a problem. But what do we see from Mary and Elizabeth? The complete opposite. They say, hey, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand. I don't know. I don't have the answers. I, and if I, if I pause and put myself in their situation, what kind of questions would I be asking? And yet they don't. They simply say, you know, God, you know what's best. You are awesome. You are amazing. And I will trust you. And that's, that's brought out by the response that they have as each of them, as, as one says, blessed is the woman that believes what God has said. That's, that's the basic gist of what Elizabeth says. And Mary goes through this big long thing and she's quoting scripture and she's bringing out all kinds of, of neat stuff. We're not going to take the time to dig into all of that. But Mary is recognizing that God is doing something big. And it's going to be tough for her. It's going to be challenging for her. It's going to be socially awkward for her. And I think at this point, she doesn't know what Joseph's answer is going to be. So she may not be even getting married now. She, who knows? Technically, as we looked at with Joseph, she could be facing death because she's pregnant in not the right way. And yet, her answer is, my soul exalts the Lord. 
my challenge for you. I, I know we've rushed through, we've barely touched it. The, the ladies, they're right. Uh, at the ladies' Bible study, there's so much more in this, and I'm bypassing so much of it. I realize that. But the takeaway, the key idea, no matter what questions we have, no matter what we're facing, can we have that attitude that Mary displayed that says, you know, I don't know the details. I don't know all the answers. I don't know how this is going to work. When we go through life and we have a challenge, a difficulty, if you're a younger parent and one of your kids gets sick, I, I can't tell you how blessed I've been. I've talked to, I'm not going to name any names right now, but I've talked to one father whose son went through, I don't remember how many rounds of, of chemo and I mean all kinds of cancer and all kinds of stuff. And the joy that he shares as that son is able to be a part of things and function and, and bring joy to people's lives. Or maybe we, we've got someone else that's suffering with some challenges right now and, and their family is, is dealing with loss. And that's, that's hard. And, and we don't know why God takes away the people or gives them sicknesses or whatever. We don't, we don't always know the answer to that. And yet, we can have this attitude that Mary displays through all of it, through the loss, through the suffering, through the challenges, whether it's you or, or loved one. Personally, I, I find it harder when a loved one is suffering than me because it's like, eh, yeah, whatever, I'm okay. But when, when a loved one hurts, that's hard. And yet, our actions, our attitude should be what we see in Mary here. My soul exalts the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has regarded the humble state of his bond slave. God is aware of what we're going through, what we're dealing with. No matter what our questions, no matter what our difficulties and challenges, God is able to understand it because he lived it. He went through it. And we can trust him, we can rely on him, and we can exalt him for who he is. I know I'm leaving a lot from this passage on the table. I want to encourage you to take a little bit of time yourself, study it out, look at it, consider it, ask questions of it. I got one more verse that I want to bring out, and then, then we'll close. But ask questions of the, of the text. Try and figure it out. Put yourself in, that shoe, in the, the shoes of the characters and, and seek to understand it. But above all, when we recognize that you know, sometimes we don't get the answers, that's okay. We can still praise God through all of it. One last verse. It comes from Psalm chapter 111. I actually came across this this week, and I was amazed by it. Like, how, how had I missed that idea, that concept? In, in Psalm 111, verse 2, I, I got to start at the beginning of the chapter. I, I can't just jump in the middle. Beginning of the chapter, verse 1. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart in the company of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord, the deeds, the things that God does. Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. We study God's word because we delight in it. We don't have to understand it 
to glorify him, to praise him. But we still have an opportunity to. And so I want to encourage you, as you find those questions in life, they may be big questions and hard ones. They may be simple ones like, why do we yawn when somebody else yawns? I don't know. Whatever the question is, we have the opportunity to study and try and learn. But beyond all that, whether we get an answer or not, we can exalt the Lord, we can praise Him and rejoice in Him because of who He is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, I'll admit sometimes I study it and I wish that it gave me answers that just aren't there. But Lord, even those cause me to recognize that I need to rely on you. You don't owe me the answers. Even as the men's group on Monday or on, on Friday we're talking about that the example of Job and his friends, they're asking all kinds of questions, making all kinds of assumptions and statements, and you just say, hey, I am the supreme being. So Lord, help us to recognize who you are. You don't owe us an answer. You give us a lot of them, but we don't deserve them. So Lord, as we, as we face challenges, as we face difficulties, as we interact over, over hard things, Help us, first and foremost, to trust you, to honor you, and to glorify you because of who you are. We know that you are the God, the creator of all things, that you understand when we don't. So, Lord, we rely on you. Thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.